The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Welcome to the Made Hoops podcast, featuring your hosts, Eric Hampford and Brian Flynn, as they take you through everything there is to know on the grassroots basketball circuit, including a spotlight on all the emerging elite middle school basketball talent from coast to coast, including the big time Made Hoops events, highlighting tomorrow's college and NBA stars. Now it's time to lace them up and take the floor with Made Hoops. Hello and welcome to Made Hoops Podcast, Episode 1. I am your host, Eric Hamford, joined by... Ryan Flynn, your co-host and National High School Scout. So today we're going to spend some time talking about Week 1 of the league as far as the 8th and 7th grade divisions with a little bit of 6th grade thrown in. And then we're going to spend some time talking about the early signing period some major commits yet to come, and some made guys who have already committed, and what kind of impact they can have at those schools. Brian, so we're going to dive right into this thing right here. We're about one week away from the debut of our Winter Circuit Session 1 for our East Coast middle school teams. I know I'm super excited about it, as I should be, since I am the middle school national director of scouting. How are you feeling going into your first circuit experience coming up? Yeah, I mean, I'm definitely really excited for it. As you mentioned, this is my first season covering the Maid Circuit. So I'm really excited to dive in and and see all the talent that's already getting ready to come up to the high school ranks next year. Absolutely. And we'll have no shortage of that talent. So I went and did a thing a few days ago, and I, I tend to do this from time to time on our Made Hoops IG account. We'll have a post, and then I'll make a comment and try to light a little bit of a fire um, to get people talking. And I said that I knew who I had for my championship pick for our Red League. Um, Of course, that blew up in my face, and I had about 30 people comment on it, and I had people texting me, calling me, asking me all these questions. You mentioned you had all these people asking you questions. Um, Eric, why don't you talk a little bit about the 8th grade Red League and, and what we should be looking forward to this season? I think we have to start the conversation with Boo Williams, who is coming off a league championship as a seventh grade um, division team last year. Uh, They won an epic two overtime game against Team Takeover in what may have been the best game that I saw all year, regardless of grade level. I mean, it was absolutely electric. Basket for basket, great coaching moves all around. I mean, it was really an entertaining game. A ton of talent on the floor, obviously, on both ends. Um, Well played. There was a lot of, you know, there was no drama as far as kids trying to fight or any of the side stuff that you see in in championship games and things of that nature. It was a really well-fought game by both sides. And and honestly, I think the better team won at that point. and, And Boo Williams deserved that championship. Now, coming into this league as eighth graders, They bring back a lot of the same pieces, uh, most notably Colby White, who is uh, their slashing, you know, kind of hybrid wing forward, gets it done on the boards for them, can pass, really, really aggressive going to the rim. Um, 
stud. They have Patrick Nagamba, who's a long, athletic, 6'3", kind of forward post player who's going to grow and evolve a lot more this year. I expect him to take the next step in his development, but he was very solid for that team as well. They obviously, like most middle school teams and high school teams, are anchored by some strong guards as well. Ben Hammond and Troy Henderson lead the charge from the perimeter for them as well, and it's going to be really fun to see how they respond right out the gates because I know we have some good matchups for them in the opening session. Now, going to the other side, team takeover, Coach Brewer had an awesome teaching moment for this group last year. After they lost that game, um, Boo Williams was was over getting their championship photos, and, and we were working with them and giving them their T-shirts and, and all that stuff and, and the trophy and just doing everything that we do to kind of, you know, give respect to the championship winning team. Coach Brewer had them over close to where we were doing that, giving his post-game, you know, pep talk about what went right, what went wrong, but he made sure that his kids were watching that whole celebration unfold so that they could really feel it and, and you know, take that in and learn from that experience, which for him, I thought that was a genius move because if you know Team Takeover and you know those guys, they're not going to forget what happened last year in March. Now, I know how you feel about it, Brian. I'll speak a little bit about it. I think most people feel this way with Team Takeover. The reason they're such a successful program, it's a culture thing. It's top down from, you know, 17 and under down to the elementary school level. There's continuity. There's accountability. Their coaches are held accountable. Their kids are held accountable. Um, I think that's kind of what separates Team Takeover from a lot of different programs. I don't know what your experience has been, Brian, but I'm sure you've seen a lot of the same things I've seen with the Team Takeover program. What are your thoughts? No, they definitely carry themselves almost in a completely different demeanor than any program in the country. I mean, you see it up at their high school ranks as well. Those kids are always so composed, and they just feel like they've been in those kind of big spots and those big games before. And it's learning moments like that, the one that you were just talking about, that kind of sets them up for this path to success. That takeover has been able to, you know, produce so many high, high level Division One kids this way. I mean, just looking at what they could potentially be next season at the 17U level, they're going to be absolutely loaded again and probably the hands-on favorite. But, I mean, for now, you can just see how much that culture helps them get to where they are by the time these kids do hit those 17U ranks. Absolutely. And I think, you know, obviously the DMV has a ton of talent. There's there's no shortage of talent you know, any year. I mean, it's always is, is just chock full of future college and, and potential NBA studs. But there really can't be enough said about how good that they cultivate that talent and they get kids to play together and work together. Um, a few of their kids that they have on the, their eighth grade Red Division team this year, they're going to be anchored by 6'6 star Donovan Freeman, who's new to the group this year. He's, he's a long, athletic, versatile forward who is going to bring a different dimension than what they had as eighth graders last year. Even though their eighth grade team even without a presence like that on the wing, they still won the league and they still won eighth grade finale. So now you can imagine why they're so excited this year bringing somebody of his caliber to go along with 6'3 shooting sniper Darren Harris and 6'3 wing AJ Swinton. I know personally that they're as excited about this group as they've been in a while, so that doesn't spell good news for the rest of the league. Now, when we talk about a few other contenders in the Red Division, I think we need to talk about the New York Lightning. 
Brian, I know you've seen the New York Lightning team. Obviously, being a New York City native, you know some of these kids a little bit from seeing them last year. They're going to be anchored by 6'10", Badara Diakite, 6'8", Jacob Hogarth, 6'6", Tariq Watson, and two of the better guards on the East Coast, Elliot Cadeau and Tahad Pettiford. What can you tell me about those guys? I mean, Cadeau and Pettiford are both coming back for a second year of competition and are both uh, originally members of the 2023 class. Um, Cadeau is a bit bigger, a bit stronger, very smooth ball handler. Pettiford's probably one of the best shooters on the East Coast in his class, if not in the country. Um, and then the development of Jacob Hogarth now finally hitting 6'8", uh, very, very quick laterally, able to block shots, and then adding a guy like Bedard Diakite, which... I mean, he's 6'10", yes, which there's not a ton of those guys running around in the league. But also, he held his own against, you know, sophomores and freshmen at Pangos just a couple of weeks ago. Absolutely. So the Lightning, they're going to be hungry for a league championship, and they have the star power to do it. I think we also need to mention uh, a very talented team, United Group, who's going to be making the trip up north to Pennsylvania from North Carolina. They have a emerging star in 6'4", wing Cameron Scott, who had a very good league last year, as well as long uh, post-prospect Jaron Stevenson and 6'2", guard Jackson Prunty. So what I really like about Team United is not only do they have kids who are very good now and who have you know won games at a high level but they're projectable talents who are probably going to be even better at the high school level and beyond now when we move into our eighth grade green league again i don't want to sound like a broken record but team takeover oladipo is going to be very tough to handle they're going to be anchored inside by six seven maybe six eight at this point guap cody he's an elite shot blocker at this age um extremely long probably has at least a plus three plus four maybe longer wingspan developing on the offensive end he came to our midwest uh middle school academy camp uh at the beginning of august and really showed a lot of improvement from his seventh grade league season so i'm really excited to see what he brings to the table with this group and with some talented guards around him uh free bands making the trip up from georgia they have a massive addition to their team with uh boston transplant six four wing jakai howard who just moved down to the atlanta area within the past several months so immediately he's going to have some firepower behind him and they have a stable of talented guards as well now another team that i think may make a little bit of noise who's done some good things on the national level are the gauchos you know they're they're led by five nine point guard danny carbuccia and they also bring six foot markel alston and six five naheem simpson to the table brian i know you're a little bit familiar with danny carbuccia so what do you what do you feel about his game what are your thoughts yeah, I mean, I definitely got the chance to see Carbuccia last winter. Um, you know, cat quick, really smooth with the ball in his hands. Uh, what really stood out about him to me was his decision-making and his ability to to pass teammates open and really control a game. Definitely has a bit of that New York City flair to his game as well as far as both vision and handle. Um, definitely a really creative player that's going to cause a lot of problems for opposing defenses throughout the year. I'm glad you brought that up about, you know, the the prototypical New York City point guard. And I think that's used or overused as a bit of a cliche from time to time. But Danny really is one of those kids. You know, he's very vocal on both ends of the floor. Sometimes he gets involved in the extracurricular activities of it. But that's kind of what sets him apart from other point guards at that age. So I'm really excited to see if he's taken that next step in his development. Yeah, Danny's a really exciting prospect, I think. Um as far as exciting, we, we know that both eighth grade leagues are definitely going to be so, but can you tell us some of the teams that we should be excited about in the seventh grade league? 
A few of the teams immediately at the top who I'm excited to see is Uplay Collective, uh, representing Canada. They have a very, very strong group who last year were champions of our sixth grade futures tournament at championship weekend. Now, what makes this team a little bit different from some of the other teams who are competing in the league is they this group has been together for multiple years now. So the continuity between their players is very strong, and they have some very, very strong pieces. Uh, point guard Josiah Sutton, uh, strong wing Tracy Kalanda, and 6'5 big man Keon Fuller is, is an absolute load to handle in the low block. So it's a deep and talented team that has history history together which you know probably is going to mean a lot of wins for them on the circuit obviously team takeover again is going to be in the hunt as you'd expect boo williams may have the number one seventh grade prospect in america right now in six five evolving wing jamal brown now i saw jamal last year um i was making a lap at the boo williams facility actually his home court when he you know, got a steal on the break and and hammered one down as a sixth grader. So immediately, you know, my mind was kind of blown. I was like, wow, this kid obviously has a chance if he continues to, you know, grow and evolve. And you never know when kids are going to top out or stop growing and all that. But I will say I've seen some footage of him recently, and it looks like he is now geared to working on the wing. Um and it looks like he's going to be an absolute monster during league play. So I'm excited to see what he brings for Boo. And, and let's not forget about their talented point guard, Carmelo Swinson, who has a history of playing with Jamal and, and, and Russell Young as well. It's a good trio that they have. Uh, and I think that's going to mean a lot of wins for them as well. Now, I think we have to talk a little bit about Black Ops as well. Black Ops, if you have heard of them before, it's, it's probably because they're led by Kyanne Anthony, who is the son of Carmelo Anthony. Uh, he's a very talented perimeter oriented shooting guard slash point guard. I think he's trying to, you know, make that switch between point and the two. And we'll see how that goes during session one. And they have a strong supporting cast as well with some big guys and some wings as well. They were winners of our 2019 futures championship in Washington, DC. So they continue to emerge and and get better as a group. So I'm excited to see about them now making the trip from Florida is going to be each one teach one. I got a chance to go down to see uh, Steve Reese's Faces of the Future Middle School Camp in September, where a lot of the each one teach one prospects were performing. They have a star in the making in 6'3 wing Jameer Jones, a kid who honestly can play any position on the floor, and he he even has some explosiveness to his game. He's already playing above the rim. So I think he's going to be probably a top three to top five player in that league with ease, which has me excited. And you also have a deadly guard duo in Michael Brown and Jalen Reese, two kids that can score, they can facilitate, and they play with a chip on their shoulder on the defensive end as well. And then they have a 6'5 post in Amari Davis. So they kind of check all the boxes as well for a team that can potentially be, you know, winning a championship come March. So I'm excited to see how that pans out as well. We spent a ton of time talking about what teams we should be looking out for, but what are some individual players that you're looking forward into seeing going into session one? Players to watch. So I'll start with eighth graders. We have 6'5", uh, forward Jaden Harris from Team Durant. Long, athletic, versatile, uh, very, very big-time prospect on the national level as far as probably a top 15 to 20 kid that I've seen so far in that class. 
Uh, Expressions is going to be bringing 6'3 guard Alex Berry down, who is another kind of hybrid combo guard who can score, he can facilitate, and he just continues to get better. The, the growth curve I've seen from him during league play last year to the summer and the end of summer, it was pretty impressive. So I think you're going to see some more of that improvement as we head into November. Team final, they have one of the top point guard prospects in the country in Ahmad Noel. Brian, I know you're familiar with Ahmad. What, what's your analysis on him? Ahmad's another guy I was able to see last winter. Um, really smart with the ball in his hands. A bit of more of a scorer than a just full distributor right now, and that's something that he's going to have to work on continuing to balance as he gets older. But he's got a ton of upside, and with finals track record for developing guards – uh, he's definitely in a good place to keep continuing his development. Uh, there's another guy for them, like about 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six now, Jaden Murray, who is a forward that kind of emerged uh, last winter, last spring a bit, who's very high upside as well. So I'm, I'll be interested to see what that duo can do for final in this Red League. I really like Jaden, and you were actually the one who you know tipped me off to Jaden before I got a chance to see him. I think it was during our championship weekend last year. So you definitely were right on the money with the analysis of Jaden. Now, Train to Go has one of the more intimidating forwards in the league in 6-7 Terry Copeland, who is right now more of a back-to-the-basket player. But I have begun to see him do a little bit more with the ball in his hands where you know he rebounds, leads the break, can finish, agile. It's just for him, it's more about keeping his motor hot and, and playing harder. At all times and if that's if, if that ever comes to fruition and he gets a bit of a perimeter shot from the mid-range it's going to be you know lights out for everyone else now south carolina unleashed is also going to be bringing probably one of the best eighth graders regardless of league down in six four uh lefty wing carter mcdowell Carter was one of the youngest eighth graders in the country last year, um, legitimate seventh grade age. They decided to reclass him to his proper grade. And, you know, now you're starting to see that confidence really shine through with him playing against kids that are his age. And I think you'll find out by the end of session one that there aren't too many more talented kids in the southeast region, maybe even the entire East Coast or country. So I'm excited to see what Carter brings to the table as well. Now, you talk about our seventh grade division. Black Ops, one of their other stars outside of Cayenne Anthony is Elijah Small. Lanky, probably 6'1", 6'2", forward, who's who's just beginning to figure out what he can be long term. But as of right now, he looks like probably one of the you know highest upside prospects in that league. Team Jacko is going to be bringing you know six three, six four plus big man Sharif Jackson into league play. He is the son of former NBA player Mark Jackson, who is also the coach of Team Jacko. So you can expect Sharif to be an instant double double and a nightmare for opposing bigs during league play all winter long team final again is gonna as usual they have you know a stable of guards year in and year out judah hidalgo and olin chamberlain are going to be you know headaches for the rest of the league to deal with as well now let's talk a little bit about some questions that we have heading into session one of league play burning questions we talked a little bit about you know boo williams how are they going to respond as the reigning league champs even if they don't have the same exact roster they have i'm a big believer in coach henderson's coaching style and his preparation 
He was very, very big on getting the kids to the gym early last year. They run sets. He was always trying to get extra gym time. I mean, he takes this about as serious as as a coach at this level playing this type of competition should. So I'm on the Boo Williams train. I'm excited to see how they respond and they rebound uh, from last year's success. As far as the skill factory, um, coming out of Atlanta, they they debuted in our Green League last year, won a championship behind a, a an explosive backcourt duo, Isaiah Collier and Kanan Carlisle, who by the end of the summer had SEC offers between both of them. So this year they're going to be playing in our Red League. Um, I'm not too sure on what the roster construction is going to look like. I knew going into last winter who they had on their squad. I knew they were going to be one of the best eighth grade teams in the country right off the jump. I'm excited to see how they reload and what their plan for an encore is playing in the red division. So we'll see how the skill factory responds after last year. BABC is going to be entering seventh and sixth grade teams into our divisions. I'm, I'm excited to see the talent that they bring down from the Boston area as well. So that's one storyline. I'm looking into and the other one I think we need to talk about is is Cayenne Anthony and and the Black Ops. What do you know about Cayenne and the Black Ops? Well, given that Cayenne's just stepping into seventh grade, uh, admittedly I don't know that much about him, but I do think it's interesting that we all kind of know what his name already and know that Carmelo's got a kid that's coming up through the ranks. Um, to me, that's kind of reminiscent of like the whole LeBron Bronny thing that's currently going on right now. And I'm curious to see, first of all, what Kyan brings to the table as a player and kind of how that team operates within the league this year as far as do they get early media coverage? Does it start kind of turning into that LeBron, Bronny style thing? And, you know, how much is Carmelo really around and how does that shape what this race looks like in the seventh grade league? Yes, I can I can tell you that some of the social media and and the media following um that started last year at some of our events, and it was similar to how the uh, North Coast Blue Chip situation got started as well when I saw that unfold with them in the 7th and 8th grade, uh, eighth grades. So I am excited to see how Cayenne deals with the controversy, deals with, you know, he has that target on his back. I think Carmelo and Lala do a great job of keeping him grounded. They keep it fun. Um, they were always in the stands. They were always not only cheering him on, but they were they were very active and supportive of the entire team. This Black Ops team is it's a tight knit group. They have history together, and it seems like they understand that. You know, they they kind of have almost a little bit of a rock star mentality among them already, even as as sixth and seventh graders. So they're definitely going to be a major storyline during session one. And I'm ex- excited to see how it plays out. Cayenne's made a lot of improvements in his game in just one year. I can imagine that he's grown and has probably done the same now that he's been in the lab, you know, over the past several months gearing up for this winter circuit as well. You mentioned chaos going into session one. And I think the word for me that I would use is uncertainty. As far as I'm going to get to see a lot of 2024 and 25 that I haven't seen yet. Um, One place I'm definitely uncertain is the sixth grade division. So I'm definitely going to defer to you. Who are some teams that we should look out for? A few teams that I think that are going to emerge and and will probably be at the top of the divisions will be above all cost, Riverside Hawks and Team Takeover. They all come into the circuit with considerable hype. They all have history of performing well at, uh, you know, bigger events like AAU Nationals in Florida, et cetera, et cetera. So you can expect those guys right off the jump to probably generate some buzz and 
and you know lead their divisions probably coming out of session one. But if somebody else comes along and, and knocks them off, I'd, I'd like to see it because all the controversy and chaos we can have in the gym at Spooky Nook, I'm for it. Now, another storyline I'm looking forward to and a team I'm excited to see is we have our first team from the state of Maine participating with Blue Wave Elite, and they'll be representing our seventh grade purple division. Uh, I've heard some great things out of New England about this group. Um, They have a star player at the top, and I think what you're going to see from this group is they're going to take some teams by surprise who may not be familiar with them, teams from outside that New England area. So they're going to get an introduction to what our circuit has to offer, and I think they're going to shock some people along the way now as far as matchups go for session one we do our best to try and put some teams together and 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 who who are going to have you know some clashes and individual matchups that we think are going to you know create some fireworks in a good way and i think we've done a good job of that for session one heavyweight matchups now right off the bat is there anything that you see brian that has caught your eye when you looked at the schedule The first thing that catches my eye is Lightning versus TakeOver. I mean, the fact that we're having arguably the best game of the year, potentially, in Session 1 is big time, and it just kind of goes to show what this league's all about and kind of the battle that every single game is going to be game in, game out. And then another game for me, just selfishly as a New Yorker, is PSA versus Rens right away. I mean... Obviously, both are usually pretty competitive at this eighth grade level, but also as programs as a whole, they're two of the better ones in the UIBL. Absolutely, absolutely. A few of the other games I'm excited to see, you have the Free Bands Elite Team versus Team Takeover in the Green Division. I think that'll be a great barometer to see exactly where, you know, Ja'Kai Howard stands up, you know, playing against a Team Takeover group that's going to be very, very good from, you know, point guard to the post with Gop Cody. You have Team United versus Boo Williams in the Red Division, which right away you have two championship contenders doing battle. And then you have Team Durant versus Expressions, which is also going to be a, a game to watch in that Red Division. As far as seventh grade games to watch go, we have you play Canada versus Black Ops, Boo Williams versus Takeover, and Team Jacko versus Black Ops. I think those are going to be three really good games that get the seventh grade division started in the right direction. Sixth grade, I have my eye on Riverside Hawks versus E Green Takeover and League Bound Elite versus Team Takeover. So those will be two in the sixth grade division that I think are going to be a lot of fun. Now, I think one thing that we need to talk about that I didn't. I, I was remiss to talk about in the the questions heading into session one. You you don't know exactly what's going to be showing up here. The AAU and, and the grassroots free agency period. There's a lot of moving and shaking, and I think we're going to be surprised when certain kids walk through that door and they're suiting up with one team when we may have thought they were with somebody else. That could drastically change the landscape of of any preparation that we have going into this league, which. I think is a lot of fun because it keeps everybody on their toes. And I think it's something that we really have to watch as we get ready for next weekend. Now, let's talk a little bit about now that we're in the November signing period, the high school side, your bread and butter, Brian. Let's talk about some of the guys who have signed and committed or guys who are on the verge of doing so. The Commitment Watch. Yeah, I mean, the first couple of guys we're going to talk about here are ultimately going to be committed by the time this podcast drops. But as of time of recording, none of them are. So the first guy that comes to mind is Chris Moore, an uh, Arkansas product that's down at Auburn, Arkansas and Memphis. Um, I honestly don't have a good feel on this one as far as where he's going to end up. He's kind of kept things close to the vest. 
I had to guess, I guess it would be Arkansas, but I wouldn't count out Auburn either. Um, I know Chris was able to play in a few of the warm-up events. Can you talk a little bit about what you've seen from Chris so far, uh, as, including last spring? Yeah, so Chris, I've I've been you know on Chris since he was probably in the seventh or eighth grade, and he's always been the same type of player. And when I say that, it's production, production, production. I mean, he's he's a guaranteed double double every time he steps on the floor. He brings toughness, he brings defense, and he's just a guy who you know what you're going to get every time he he's on the court. So yes, he played in multiple uh, made hoop warm ups events. He was dominant there, just like he's been dominant at everywhere else he's gone. He always puts up some type of numbers, and he's the type of guy that obviously guards love to play with because he's reliable. I mean, you mentioned that Chris has been really productive, and that you've been on him for a long time. I want to talk about a guy that I've been on for a long time. Um, I first saw him actually at Maid's eighth grade finale uh, a few years ago, and that's Jamari Sibley. Um, kind of a 3 4 perimeter oriented, oriented forward who's down to Georgetown, Iowa, and Minnesota, who I think is kind of underappreciated nationally just from like he's always played with other talented guys in high school, and I think it's a little overlooked, but like. Super lanky, really versatile defensively if he wants to be on that side of the ball. It's a matter of effort there. Um, He can shoot it and he can handle a little bit and he can put the ball on the deck. I think he's kind of a versatile prospect that anyone would be lucky to have. Um, I think it's also really interesting because both Iowa and Georgetown are currently out of scholarships. So somebody would have to go pro early there or transfer. So Minnesota might be the benefactor just from like a timing standpoint. But that being said, Sibley hasn't actually come out and said that he's going to commit in this early signing period. So there is still potentially room for other schools to get involved. Um, I don't think we can get out of this. Sorry. um, Talking about without talking about Isaiah Jackson, um, top 25 big man, arguably the best shot blocker in the class. Um, He's down to Syracuse, Alabama and Kentucky. Um, Kentucky's already got a power forward commit. Alabama made a point to go after a lot of big names with the new staff and have not had the best luck so far. So I think they kind of need this commit more than the others. And of course, Jackson's intrigued by Syracuse and specifically what he could do in the, you know, defensively in that zone. Absolutely. Um, I mean, Isaiah, you know, that's probably has been his calling card from, from day one as a national level recruit is that shot blocking ability. I don't know how many other, National guys know this, but you're you're a Cuse fan. Um, as of late, I don't know if you admit that as much, but how important do you think that commitment would be if Syracuse were to get him? Yeah, I mean, I spent nine years trying to hide that fact from the national crowd, but put that out on pod one. So um, for me, it's a matter of where that program is going. And I think if they can land a guy like Jackson, it kind of revitalizes the fan base as far as what they feel the recruiting has been, because obviously it's been a bit of a step down as of late. And, you know, let's face it, Jim's not getting any younger, so they need to inject some energy into that program. I think with this class. Okay. So let's, let's switch lanes a little bit. Let's talk about Adam Miller, uh, made hoop summer showcase alum. Shout out to Adam a few years ago. What's his current situation? So Adam's actually pulling a move that I'm really starting to enjoy, which is commit early, but not early enough to sign. So there's no pressure as far as once he commits of them being like, oh, well, he hasn't signed the NLI. He might back out. I mean, we're going to hear those rumors until he actually signs one anyways, but at least he's not committing and then not signing, which I think 
makes it a little more dramatic in my eyes. Um, I think it's also really interesting that he felt the need to cut his list down to Illinois, Arizona, and Louisville just a couple weeks ago. And now Michigan has jumped into the picture as well. So can they convince him to ultimately pick them? And can they sneak in basically two weeks before this thing ends and, and come out with a commitment here? Yeah, that would obviously be huge news for Juwan Howard. And I think he's obviously done a lot to, you know, spark the interest of the fan base and, and is in a lot of recruits' ears at this point, you know, making some stuff happen. I was a really big fan of how Adam played at uh, USA Basketball Minicamp when I was out there in October. I mean, obviously, he's always been known as, you know, a high-level athlete, big-time transition player. But I was impressed on how he carried himself with the ball in his hands, how he distributed. And he was extremely vocal on both ends of the floor, which I thought was really impressive and, and showed you a little bit different of a glimpse into his game. Yeah, I mean, Miller's definitely really talented, and Illinois has been recruiting him since, what, his freshman year? I mean, maybe even since his eighth grade year, so I think it would be devastating if they can't get him, but Illinois has got enough talent coming in, and especially in the backcourt with Corbello already, that they have their bets hedged, but still, losing Miller out at this point would be massive for them. Okay, so now let's let's finish off here and talk a little bit about some of the bigger commitments of the early signing period. Yeah, we definitely have to start with the arguably the number one player in the country in Cade Cunningham. Um, you know, once they hired his brother, everyone thought it was Oklahoma State. And then a few weeks afterwards, they kind of started being rumors that maybe not. But ultimately, you know, he decided to stick by his brother and commit to, to Oklahoma State, which is obviously huge for them and for Burton as well. Um, to me, one of my favorite storylines of the early signing period is what Texas Tech is doing with both. Micah Peavy and Namari Burnett. Um, you know, Burnett actually played on our summer showcase as well a couple of years ago. Super tough wing, can really score the ball. Uh, I think really fits Beard's system well. And and they're doing a great job of recruiting the highest level of recruits of guys who actually fit their system. And I really appreciate that. So one thing I think is most impressive, obviously, Texas Tech is not known as a national power when it comes to the recruiting the recruiting game. And, you know, Chris Beard has done a great job recently. The fact that he's getting high-level kids to go to Lubbock is is huge, and I don't think that can be, you know, told enough, honestly. So I'm, I'm with you on the fact that I, I don't think it's, you know, outside of your – your real hoop heads. I don't think people realize how big of a deal that is for them to get kids at the level of Namari Burnett and Mike Peavy on board. Yeah. I mean, I think we look at last year and there's a certain amount of feeling about how replicable was it making into the national championship game. And obviously you don't make it to that game without at least getting a little lucky. I mean, everyone does, but bringing guys in like this is going to make that more of an expectation and less of a surprise for them. Absolutely. I mean, the other thing I like about Burnett is just his toughness. And, you know, when I think about guys who are tough scorers, I, I can't help but think of Moses Moody, who committed to Arkansas recently. Um, definitely a signature recruit for Musselman and the new staff there. You know, physical slasher, another guy who can defend up thanks to his strength, can really score it. What did you kind of think of Moses over the past year? I like Moses's game. I've always I've always liked Moses. I think what made him very important for the state of Arkansas is the fact that he's been a kid who's been on the radar since his, you know, 8th grade year. I mean, that's a that's a state that is very passionate, you know, obviously about football, but basketball as well. And and when they lose in-state kids, they never handle it well. So the fact that they were able to come full circle and get, you know, 
him locked in is huge because he's the type of kid who's going to come in from day one and make things happen. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you on that. And, you know, I can't think of another maybe under the radar big time commitment, but I think of Matt Morrell and Ole Miss and what that kind of means for that program in today's age as far as Penny's been able to bring in a ton of talent both locally and all over the country and to kind of sneak into Memphis maybe before the Tigers really realized that Morrell was the kind of level of shooter that he is and and what he could do on the ball as a point guard and and make up the ground they needed to make in order to hold them off ultimately to get that commitment. I mean, I think that says a lot for Kermit Davis and the staff down there. I think that Matt Morell is going to be the type of kid who has a lot of coaches kicking themselves because if there's one thing that we see in the modern game, it's that skills pay bills and shooters tend to make people pay. And this kid can shoot the cover off the ball. Every time I've seen him, he's been putting on an absolute clinic from the perimeter. So I think that's a great pickup from Ole Miss, somebody that's you know generally right in their backyard. So I, I'm excited to see what he does at the SEC level. Um, but I think it was a great pickup by them. Let's move on to the North Carolina Tar Heels. They got a commitment from a made high school academy camp alumni in Western Pennsylvania native Puff Johnson. What what are your thoughts on Puff? I know you've seen him. Tell us a little bit about his game and, and what he'll bring to the table. I mean, Puff is very similar to his brother Cameron, who's now on the Suns, in the sense that he's a big wing who can really shoot the ball. Um, kind of a late bloomer as well, which is also Cam's trajectory. And I think being able to see Cam in UNC system and how Roy used him kind of gave Puff the idea of like, okay, if I go here, this is what I could look like. And I mean, none of us were expecting Cam to go 11th in the draft. And, you know, there was obviously a lot of people who were kind of scratching their heads at that pick. But at the same time, I mean, Roy and UNC helped Cam get drafted 11th. How do you turn that down? Yeah. And I think, you know, I think Arizona fans were, were pretty disgruntled when Puff decided to t- make his pledge to North Carolina because it was a perceived Arizona lean for a while based on the fact that, you know, Cam ended up out with Phoenix Suns. Uh, Donovan left uh, Moon Area to go out to Hillcrest for his senior year. There's obvious ties between Sean Miller and Puff's uh, father, Gil, who played together. So I think Wildcats fans really, it was an afterthought. They thought they had this kid locked up. And then, you know, it took a visit to Chapel Hill. And next thing you know, Puff was committed. Now, keeping keeping our eyes on North Carolina, let's talk a little bit about R.J. Davis, who obviously a New York City kid you're very familiar with. Yeah, I mean, I think R.J. is a perfect example of, of, you know, being able to track a guy from seventh grade up all the way through, you know, his senior year. I mean, you you were on R.J. early and by the time he got to Stepanak, I knew exactly who he was. And it's been really fun to watch him develop as both, you know, a lethal shooter and somebody who can control really well, like in the pick and roll situation and run a team. Um, He's really grown into being a leader over the past four years and. What he did this spring from the time that he finished his high school season to becoming the leader of the Rens this year and putting up the summer that he had, that was just like a really fun run to watch him continue to develop on. And now he's going to end up playing in the ACC. And I think we both know that like coming up, that was definitely not promised for him. And I think that's that's a big part of RJ's game and his makeup and motivation. The fact that he's never been the biggest kid. He's never been the most athletic kid. 
But you know what he has been? Super skilled. Even back when he played for the Gauchos in, in seventh and eighth grade, he could shoot the cover off the ball, and he had a swagger about him. And I think that that's something that he uses as fuel and motivation, and I think that's why he wanted to play in the ACC conference at the University of North Carolina. A lot of people said, no, 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 maybe you should play a level down. You know, you, you're guaranteed to be successful there. No, RJ's not about that. RJ wants to play at the highest level and prove everybody – wrong and let them know that he can absolutely shine in the ACC. So I'm excited to see, you know, the career that RJ has as well. Let's talk a little bit about a few other guys who, you know, we know very well as Made Hoops alums who have made their pledges and they're getting ready for the next level. Do you want to start? Yeah, I'll I'll start. I mean, the first name that comes to mind is Terrence Clark. I mean, I remember watching him in Springfield at the league with you uh, just a couple of years ago and you saying that he was going to reclass to 2021. And the first thought in my mind was this kid doesn't need that. He could, you know, go as a 2019 if he could do what it needed to take academically and be ready to play. I mean, he's quite clearly going to end up being an NBA player at some point. And he just has so much athleticism and skill and size on the perimeter that it's very, very hard to see him ultimately batting him out. And I think he'll, kind of step in and be the leader of Kentucky from day one next year. I think he's that level good. He's He's got a great personality too. I think that's one thing about Terrence that if you've met him and you've gotten to know him, I think you know analysts and coaches and players alike who've come across him over the past several years, he's got a great passion for the game and he's just a, he's a funny kid off the court. He's just one of those kids that you root for. Whether you want to or not, he's you're a Terrence Clark fan from start to finish. So I'm excited. You know, obviously he he was a, a big time player as an eighth grader with expressions in the made hoops winter circuit, and that has translated all the way down the line, and we're hoping for future success from him. Now let's talk a little bit about Duke, who is going to be getting uh, team takeover project uh, prospect Jeremy Roach. What are your thoughts yeah, on Jeremy? I think Roach has been a little overlooked nationally. I mean, he's been hurt at different points throughout his high school career, he's had to miss significant times at different points, and I think that's kind of led to him not being talked about, and the, that and the fact that he committed to Duke fairly early in the process. Um, I think one of the big flaws with media today is that once a kid's committed, we tend to kind of um, kind of forget about them a little bit. And, and Roach is just such a competitor and, and so smart on the ball. And I really like what he does defensively. Um, I think he's a guy who will probably need a couple of years at Duke, but is going to be somebody who, again, probably will see himself in a leadership role for the Blue Devils sooner rather than later. Absolutely. I think we, we can finish this off, talk a little bit about Keon Johnson, um, headed to Tennessee, uh, had a huge performance at the warm-up two years ago. I got a chance to see him at USA Basketball this October, where he continued to put his name in the conversation as a guy who not only should you know be a star at the college level, but there's a lot of NBA upside as well. Have you seen Keon or, or any of our other guys on the list that we haven't quite gotten to yet? I mean, there's one more guy I really want to touch on before we go, and that's Julian Strother. Um, you know, obviously the term three-level scorer has been thrown out a hundred times, uh, and it, more than it needs to be thrown out. But Strother really is like an elite-level scorer who can has a really nice jumper, has range, you know, out past 20 feet. Uh, he's not the quickest or not the most athletic dude out there, but he's super skilled. Um, doesn't really get sped up. He's not going to be somebody who's a, a risk as far as turnovers goes. I think 
he's a guy who's going to in time turn into a star for Gonzaga. Um, and I think he's a foundation piece for the Bulldogs moving forward. Absolutely. And you've been a huge Julian Strother fan from day one as well. I don't even remember how long ago it was, but it was definitely multiple years ago where I remember you saw him at, I can't even remember the event it was at, but you came away raving about him. So we're it was obviously at excited. Jam playing 15s, he scored 35 points. It was one of the most impressive scoring performances I've seen. The fact that you remember that is impressive in itself. So it must have uh, left a very, very positive imprint on your mind. So I wish you could remember other things as well as you remember uh, useless basketball knowledge, but that's a story for another day. This has been the debut of the Made Hoops podcast. We'll be back as we follow our winter circuit East Coast sessions. For more from the grassroots basketball world and Made Hoops, please subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts and follow the journey on social media at Made Hoops on Instagram and Twitter. You can follow my personal Twitter and Instagram accounts at Eric underscore Hanford. Brian, where can they find you on social media? For Twitter, you can find me at Made and Instagram at Hoops. Also, be sure to check out our partner at Pure Hoops Media for their extensive storytelling insight and analysis in the world of basketball. The Made Hoops podcast is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media.